you have a lot of shares that have been neglected because the attention has focused uh, lately at, say, the speculators are all in meme stocks and in cryptos. So gold and silver and platinum have been neglected as an object of speculation. Similarly, in the market, you have the US, uh, the fund and related stocks and semiconductors that are very high. But at the same time, you have emerging markets, some of which are, uh, are quite depressed and some of which have economies that actually in the long run look reasonably good. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with global macro analyst, Dr. Mark Faber. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Mark, in which he explains why historical precedent virtually guarantees harder times ahead for the global economy, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective that Mark and our partners at New Harbor Financial share in this video. Oh, and if you haven't yet, don't forget to subscribe to this channel by clicking the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. It only takes a second and it really helps us out as the more subscribers this channel has, the more big name experts we can attract onto this program in the future. And now here's part two of our interview with the incomparable Dr. Mark Faber. I remember following your work, you know, right before and right after the, the global financial crisis. And I think you were still pretty pessimistic back then about our prospects. But you had said, you know, if you got to keep your money in the system somewhere, you got to do something with your money. And I recall that you kind of said, look, if you put a quarter of it in global equities, a quarter in, in uh, global bonds, um, a quarter in precious metals, I can't remember if the other quarter was real estate or, real estate, or whatever it was, yes. real estate. Uh, and that, that actually performed pretty darn well over the past 10 years. Um, do you have any sort of general framework like that, you know, in the near term for, for folks to consider? Or is, it this the, is this the time to put it all into precious metals and, and ideally precious metals, nobody knows where they are? <laughs> uh, I wouldn't put everything in precious metals because... Uh, if we look at the performance of assets over very long periods of time, stocks have tended to outperform precious metals. But I think we need to select stocks relatively carefully, because what is interesting in the market at the present time is you have some stocks that are very expensive and high. Uh, they are like the stocks that were... Uh, the favorite stocks in 1973, they were called the Nifty 50. These were 50 stocks in the US, like Kodak, Sears, Polaroid, Xerox. Most of them by now have gone bankrupt. But at the time, they were the most popular and safest investments. Okay. And uh, we have to be careful. These stocks are not particularly cheap. So they may come under a lot of pressure. On the other hand, you have a lot of shares that have been neglected because the attention has focused uh, lately at, say, the speculators are all in meme stocks and in cryptos. So gold and silver and platinum have been neglected as an object of speculation. Similarly, 
In the market, you have the US, uh, the fun and related stocks and semiconductors that are very high. But at the same time, you have emerging markets, some of which are, uh, are quite depressed and some of which have economies that actually in the long run look reasonably good. You understand, China is not going to grow at 10% per annum anymore, nor will India, but they can grow at probably 3-4% per annum. And uh, some companies that are well managed will do well. Similarly, in Indonesia, Indonesia is not a small country, over 200 million people, same Bangladesh, same Pakistan. So the world is a huge place and some countries, in my opinion, will do relatively well because they, the countries, especially that had socialism, they will never want to go back to socialism. That I guarantee you. Interesting. So um, just to ask a specific question there. So um, there is a case that people make for emerging markets right now being fairly undervalued relative to U.S. and Certainly European Certainly relative stuff. to the U.S. Yeah. Um, and what you're saying there is a number of those countries, you know, are, are, are still in the process of opening up from communists, totalitarian rule. And to your point, that once they've tasted this, this greater freedom, they're never going to go back. So are you generally, I'm going to use the term bullish because I don't, I don't think you're necessarily a bull on anything, but are you more optimistic about emerging markets going forward? I can answer this question by saying that of the asset allocation that have, I have to equities, which is approximately 25%, and 25% precious metals and 25% real estate and 25% um, uh, bonds and cash. Of the 25% uh, allocation in equities, I have probably 80% in emerging economies and maybe 20% in European value stocks. All right. Well, that is super useful for us, Mark. So, Mark, I'm looking at the time, um, my time, and realizing how late it is, or, or maybe early in the morning it is, your time in Thailand. Uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on with us and share us your deep, uh, your deep seasoned expertise. Before we wrap up here, for people that want to learn more about you and your work, perhaps follow you going forward if they didn't know you before this video, where should they go? I think most people don't want to learn more about me. <laughs> but, <laughs> Not at all. But, but I have a website to subscribe to my papers uh, called www.gloomboomdoom.com, uh, all in one word. Or if you Google my name, you'll find me somewhere. <laughs> all right. Well, look, we'll put the, uh, the URL up on the screen during the editing process when you read the okay. gloomboomdoom.com uh, okay. URL there. Um, hey, one real quick, I realize I'm going to get a ton of um, messages if I don't ask you this. Um, you've talked about cryptos briefly, you know, once once or twice here. Just want your 60 second uh, opinion. But, you know, some people would say, hey, that's a good way to A, protect against currency devaluation and B, be able to move your capital across borders. Are you in favor of cryptos? Do you have major concerns about them? Where, where do you fall on them? I think that the way we pay today with the bank note, you know, like we have a wallet and the bank note and so forth. Credit cards will stay, prepaid card will stay, but this kind of fodder, 
you know, that will disappear. I think we'll have cryptos in future. But you understand a crypto that is controlled by the government is equally bad as a paper currency that is controlled by the Federal Reserve that is controlled or was formed by some leading families in the world. All right. So, so we have to, you know, you always have to choose. Who do you want your, uh, who do you want to control your money? In charge of your currency supply, absolutely. The beauty of gold and silver is that nobody controls it. Unless the government says, well, you can't own it. The U.S. has done it before. I don't understand how the U.S. can always broadcast to the rest of the world to being the land of the free. After 1933, gold was illegal in the US. All right, well, well said, Mark. And look, thank you so much for the time you've given us. Really appreciate you coming on the program. I'm sure we're gonna have uh, a lot of folks asking to have you come on again in the future. I hope that's all right in your book. And, uh, and please uh, go, go get some sleep. Thank you so much for staying up so late for us. My pleasure, my pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. And uh, now, as I do every week on this program, I'm going to talk with the lead partners at New Harbor Financial. Um, Mike, John, uh, Mark Faber, uh, man, you do not have any questions about where that guy stands on uh, the issues he talks about. Uh, and definitely he's got some, uh, you know, very stark, very frank, very hard-hitting opinions. Um, I want to ask you guys about some of his commentary around gold, emerging markets and whatnot. Um, real quick, guys, I know there's a lot there to respond to, but um, uh, what are some of the key takeaways you took from uh, what Mark said there? Um, John, why don't we start with you? Yeah, Mark's always a, a fascinating uh, listen. He, uh, he certainly um, you know, has a lot of history and context and perspective that he, he, he um, dives deep to, to bring to the table. Really appreciate his time. And sometimes, you know, we, we, even in our seats can get lost in the day to day and the minutia of the data. And sometimes you got to take a step back and really look at things in the bigger cycle and even in a historical cycle. These, these mistakes have been made before. And, uh, you know, there's been lessons that should have been learned. And I think he properly kind of teases out some of those. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, give, give, give Mark due credit. He is a very, um, um, confidently spoken, uh, you know, I won't say outspoken because I think he, he calls a lot of uh, truth to the table. And uh, it's very refreshing sometimes to hear uh, someone outside the U.S. kind of looking back inward and I'm as patriotic as they come. But, you know, we all got to take a, a good look at, and, at the realities and truths of what's before us. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly why I brought Mark on was sort of for two main reasons. One, he's got that that global perspective, you know, based there in Thailand uh, and you know, looks at investing opportunities all over the world. Doesn't just get caught up in what's going on in one place like the U.S. market or, or Europe. Um, but also, he is that student of, of history, both economic history and political history. Spent a lot of time in socialist countries, um, and so is not just speaking academically uh, about his conclusions. These are things that he's seen unfold over the course of his lifetime. Um, John, I actually want to want to stick with you for a second here and just talk about a chart that you sent over here before we started filming, which was uh, a chart about uh, emerging markets. Um, I know that's one of the positions in the New Harbor portfolio. Um, I know it hasn't performed that great over the past couple of months. 
Um, but, uh, you know, Mark um, made a good case for why um, investors, particularly investors in developed countries, should consider geographical diversification in general, but also looking at the emerging markets. Um, and, you know, he's so confident that he said that of, of the percent of his portfolio that he has in stocks, about 80% of that is in emerging markets equities. So uh, let's pull this chart up here, which says that uh, the emerging market equities are approaching a 20-year low versus the S&P 500. And John, why don't I let you take over the football here and, and sort of yeah. tell me why you sent this over? Yeah, this chart is, is obviously a very, very big picture. It's a lot of history, historical context. This chart goes back to 1987, uh, right through the present day. And, you know, it's put together by uh, Bank of America. Uh, it's data from Bloomberg. So it's an authoritative source. It basically just shows the relative valuations of emerging market stocks as compared to U.S. stocks. Um, you know, if, if nothing else, this speaks to the, the, the long cycle of things and the fact that cycles uh, eventually do turn. And when they do turn, they turn in a usually lasting and, and very dramatic way. So this shows, you know, kind of uh, in, in, in this long history of back to 87, we are approaching near, near record lows of emerging market stocks on a, on a valuation basis um, versus UX stocks. This is a position that we have you know, observe for, for a number of years now. And, and these cycles don't turn on one or two a year type, type uh, you know, timeframes. These are oftentimes uh, 10, 10 year um, trends or, or longer. Um, and yeah, so, so categorically, if you look at data, um, emerging market stocks are much better valuations than US stocks, which have never been more expensive than they are now, not even close any other period of time. So, you know, we are relatively more, you know, uh, attracted to emerging market stocks. Other folks out there are as well. Um, uh, GMO, big Boston-based uh, investment manager, Jerry Grantham's, you know, um, firm, you know, have long um, espoused uh, in this current cycle uh, the, the tremendous relative undervaluation of emerging markets. There is, you know, the demographic thing, you know, most emerging markets have younger growing workforces where growth and prosperity and, and ambition, you might even say, are, are you know, a little bit different than some of the developed economies where the workforce is aging, the governments and economies are getting saddled with, uh, you know, tremendous amounts of debt and, you know, entitlements and things like that. Um, but there are also things like, um, you know, diversification out of the U.S. dollar that is benefit, you know, if we do kind of further kind of experiment with policies that, you know, can undermine the U.S. dollar, emerging market stocks should, should do relatively well. And they also have a resource, um, natural resource kind of um, angle to them. A lot of these emerging economies are natural resource rich. And to the extent inflation takes hold and commodity prices go higher, you know, that should favor on a relative basis emerging market stocks. So sorry for the long-winded uh, response there, but. No, no, it was, it was actually a great summarization. So thank you. Um, I, I want to stick with you to get to one other chart you sent over. And then Mike, I'm coming to you to talk about gold. Um, but uh, before I do, John, if, if, if viewers here are interested in looking at ways to get exposure, increase exposure to emerging markets, um, do they have to go out and sort of research individual companies and kind of build their own position? Or are there funds, ETFs uh, that make it easier for the, you know, not too familiar with emerging markets investor to begin to dip their toe in? Oh yeah, absolutely. There are there are many, and I'm not going to endorse any any one here. You know, probably run afoul of some regulatory things, 
but yeah, uh, but when we do invest in emerging markets, we're not picking individual stocks. We don't, you know, we're, we're looking, not only do we have the on the ground insights to, to look at those stocks, but, um, you know, we're looking for the asset class, the broad asset class um, exposure relative to other things uh, that we're either under or, or unweighted to. Um, so, yeah. All right. And sorry, just to dive into that as well, if, if, I, I'm assuming the case, but you tell me right or wrong. Um, you can certainly buy a fund like a China fund or whatnot, where you're, you're buying uh, for a specific market. Um, but I assume there are funds too, where you're getting uh, country diversity inside the ETF or the fund itself too. Is that, is that, that correct? Yeah. Th yeah. There are broad emerging markets funds that cover, you know, Asia, South America, emerging Europe, you name it. Um, kind of broad swath. In fact, there's an index, the, uh, um, I forget who the index, uh, but the emerging markets uh, index, uh, you know, is, is a, let me see if I can kind of get the actual name of it. Um, all right. Well, look where, where, where you're pulling it up. Um, MSCI. MSCI is MSCI. Okay. Yeah. Emerging market um, index. Okay. Great. So you also mentioned there that um, uh, you know these these stocks are at approaching a 20 year low compared to the S and P 500. The S and P 500 is back up at an all time high, as is the Dow, as is pretty much the Nasdaq. So um, you know we are back to full party on uh, in, in the major market indices. Um, you sent over a slide here. It's a slide from John Hussman. Um, I know we've brought this slide up in past shows, but it's basically showing that given the high levels of, of uh, valuation in current markets right now, the projected forward return of the market is about as low as it's ever been. Can you comment on this? Yeah, this, this chart, if you have it up for folks, it's, it's a scatter plot. Each one of these dots is an data point that has been observed. It's no one's guess. John Hussman isn't getting a, uh, he's a great analyst, by the way, one of our favorites. Always want to give him plenty of kudos and credit because he does great, great work. Um, but each one of these dots is an actual observed 12-year uh, annual return in the S&P 500. Um, so again, no one's guess. This is actual data. And what it shows is a pretty, anybody that's a statistics, uh, you know, even remotely familiar with statistics, it shows a very tight, what's called a scatter plot. And it shows a, a, the, the horizontal axis is a metric of uh, market valuation relative to a really robust fundamental called gross value added. It's kind of, kind of like a price to earnings ratio. Bottom line is, as you get further to the right on that, that X, the horizontal axis, stocks are becoming more expensive relative to that underlying fundamental. And as you get to the left, they're getting cheaper, okay? A couple of things to note here. There's a huge, very, very tight relationship. The higher valuations are at a given point in time, the lower the subsequent 12-year returns are. Just, it's a simple law of the financial universe. Okay, so right now, if you look at the, the arrow to the far right, the, the metric, uh, the measure of this, this ratio right now is 3.46. If you go vertically from that to pick, pick a return that you wanna assume for the future. If you wanna assume 10% annual return from today, take that point where the 3.46 is and go vertically until you get to 10% on the, on the vertical axis. What you end up there is a data point that would be so outside the norm, such an outlier relative to all history. It really paints a vivid picture. Even assuming a 0% annual return from current levels, which most people that are in stocks certainly aren't investing for zero, that too is a very dramatic outlier from any history. Um, this chart suggests that it would be reasonable to expect if this relationship were to hold like it has in history, a negative, uh, you know, almost 6% annual return over the next 12 years. 
annual, not not just cumulative, annual. Yeah, annual return for 12 years. Yeah. And and to, to ask the, the, the question another way, what, what kind of valuation would be historically consistent with say a 10% annual return? Well, go go to 10% on that vertical vertical assets and go go horizontally until you get to the, the, the middle of that. That would suggest a ratio of about 1.0. Okay. That's that suggests we're three and a half times more overvalued today. So that's like a 70 something, 70 ish percent drop to get to the level that would be consistent with kind of the historical valuations that would be supportive of 10% annual returns. This is crazy stuff where we are right now. Okay, so that, that is the embedded risk in today's market prices. We beat that drum a lot, a lot in previous videos, so I won't go too deep with it here with you guys, but I just wanna update folks here because that's why we have you guys on every week is to show folks where things are as of today. Um, you know, we are about as stretched uh, in valuation terms as we've ever been so far in the story. Okay, Mike, I'm coming over to you now. Um, Mark talked a lot about gold. Gold, precious metals, still something he's a strong believer in. He still has 25% of his portfolio in it. Um, gold prices have not done very well recently. In fact, they really got beaten up over the past week um, where the jobs report came out last Friday. Uh, better than expected. So that made people think that the Fed might actually start tapering or tightening sooner, um, which uh, made rates go up a little bit and that sent gold down. And then a few days later, Sunday night uh, in the thinly traded markets, somebody dumped $4 billion worth of gold futures contracts within a matter of minutes on the market, uh, creating a flash crash in gold. Uh, gold's recovered from that a little bit. But um, I'm going to put up this chart here that you guys sent over, which is showing that um, relative to a general commodities index, uh, gold is looking extremely uh, cheap right now. Um, in fact, uh, almost the cheapest it's been in, uh, gosh, uh, over the past decade or so. So um, a lot of interest in gold, both from Mark's comments and I think just from our audience in general. Um, what, uh, what's your guys' take on what's going on right now? Yeah, you know, it's we, we're not happy to see the move in the precious metals market that's happened over the last couple of weeks. And certainly the flash crash Sunday night was pretty surprising where, like you said, four four billion dollars notional gold was dumped in in the in the nighttime uh, Globex electronic markets. Um, yeah, it's recovered a good portion of that. I'm looking at the chart right now. Gold has really been in this giant consolidation range for a few years. It, it reached a highest many people might remember August of 20. And since then, it's been on a pullback, but it's basically in this giant triangle formation. This drop on Sunday is the first thing of, of real concern in that it broke to the downside out of this triangle. You know, a triangle is a technical formation where prices start to consolidate and then squeeze down and they compress into a tighter and tighter range until they break out. Well, Gold broke out to the downside and touched mm, sixteen seventy-seven or so in the futures market. That that would normally be a bearish. It would be a, a bearish indication because it broke out to the downside out of a consolidation. Interestingly, though, in the last couple of days, uh, the price of gold has come right back to, to the bottom uh, trend line of that triangle, sitting at around seventeen fifty-three right now in the futures market. So that this there's a big support shelf right there, right around 1750, 1760. 
it's pretty precarious, particularly in the in the backdrop of the dollar. Uh, the U.S. dollar has been in a range, and it's and it's more recently been trying to break out to the upside of that range. So something else we're watching pretty closely. The dollar's been kind of trying to break out above the 93 range and looks like it may be successful in doing that for the next couple of months. Having said that, I, I don't think it's impossible for the dollar to, to get stronger and for gold to get stronger. The correlation is not as, as, uh, as, as close to one as one as, as you might otherwise think. But for, from a pure technical perspective, in my view, gold will have to get above this area pretty quickly or it risks from a technical perspective rolling over and going down below 1680 or so. So it's, it's tough to say. I mean, mining shares, uh, which we are long-term holders of and believe in, uh, are, are undervalued, we think. Um, there's a lot of good things that have happened in that sector, like restructuring of debt. They're hugely profitable. The mining companies are even at 16, 17, $1,800 gold. And they're trading at valuations that are, that are really low compared to the S&P. So we really like the mining shares. We like gold too. We'd like to see it rebound quicker from here so that it was a false breakout to the downside. If that were the case, it's almost like a, a boomerang where it fakes out to the downside and then can start to accelerate to the upside. We'd love to see that, but again, it's pretty tenuous right here at 1750 or so. We'd need to see it go above 1800 pretty quick, hopefully. Good points, Mike. And, and I just want to add to that by saying that um, the vast majority of, of experts that we've had on this program, including Mark, uh, are all fairly united in assessing the precious metals right now as being highly undervalued relative to virtually every other asset class that's out there. Um, all right. So, folks, if you're watching and you are um, concerned by the you know, major warning flags that Mark discussed, um, and trying to figure out how to safeguard your wealth, given what might be coming down the road. Uh, if you want to talk to a professional financial advisor, uh, get their counsel of somebody who sees the risk that Mark talks about. Um, you, if you're new to this program, you might not know that Mike and John and the team at New Harbor offer free personal financial consultations uh, to the viewers of all of these videos. It doesn't cost anything. There's no strings attached. There's no commitments. They're just trying to help people position themselves as prudently as possible while there's still time to do so. If you're interested in that, stick around to the end of this video. We tell you how to do that. All right, if you want to see more great guests like Mark Faber and the folks that we've had on this program recently, Lance Roberts, Michael Pento, Stephanie Pomboy, Grant Williams, Luke Groman, Lynn Alden, a uh, huge long list of these folks, um, help us out by doing two quick things. One, hit the like button on this video, and then if you haven't already, please click the subscribe button as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Those seem like small things, but they really do help us out in attracting big names on this program going forward. And if you'd like to see who we're going to have on this program going forward and maybe give your own advice as to who we should bring on, just follow me on Twitter at, at Menlo Bear. All right, John and Mike, thanks again for joining me for yet another great week of making sense of these markets. Who knows what's going to happen from here, but as it unfolds, we will be making sense of it for our viewers together here on this program. Thanks so much for joining me, guys. Thank you, Adam. Talk to you next week. Thanks a lot, Adam. Always a joy and uh, good, good, good work getting uh, some, some well-known guests on. Keep, keep up the good work. Thank you. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. 
These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching. Thank you.